Isn't that the truth? We'll be finding Malachi chapter 3 where we find this startling question. Will a man rob God? What a question. Will a man rob God? You might say, what a foolish thing, robbing God. That'd be like cutting off the hand that feeds you. Why, you'd be creating hardship for yourself if you did that. Why would you ever want to rob God? So we're in this series that we began last week called Right on the Money. Right on the Money. And last week we uh, looked at the passage that says, Those who desire to be rich, they'll drift off into other lustful things in order to have that money. And so we said we have to esteem money righteously. Wealth is not uh, a sin in and of itself. Money is not a sin in and of itself. But it is a root of all kinds of evil if our view of money is not a righteous view of money. God certainly blesses some people with the ability to make money. He expects us, whether we make much or whether we make little, to be faithful with what He has provided for us. So money is not evil, but our unbiblical views of money can be evil. And so we said we need to be careful. We need to esteem money righteously. Well, today I want to give you the sermon on the amount. <laughs> the sermon on the amount. And you may already have a resistance built up because in the last two minutes now, I've already let you know I'm preaching about money today. And so you've got that resistance going on, perhaps, not all of you, but maybe some of you. And you may be saying to yourself right now, I don't care what he has to say. I don't believe we ought to have to tithe. And I'm not going to let him make me feel guilty if I don't. I don't. He's not talking me into giving 10% of my income to this church. I don't care what he says. I don't care what the Bible says. Well, Benjamin Franklin was like that. You might be surprised to know. Living during the days of that great fiery preacher, George Whitfield. Whitfield was in town and Benjamin Franklin wanted to go hear him at the local church house. And so he, he knew that Whitfield was known for being very persuasive, not just with the gospel, but with all the things concerning the word of God, and especially when it came to money that he was very persuasive about people giving money to his ministry, but also to the local church. Well, Benjamin Franklin didn't want to be talked into giving money, and so he did something. He decided he would go, but he would leave his billfold at home. He wasn't taking a dime with him to this crusade. Well, that night, Whitfield was preaching, and before he ever finished his sermon... Benjamin Franklin looked over to his friend sitting next to him and asked him if he could borrow money for the offering plate that was soon to come. So I hope I can be persuasive enough today that you, if you're not a tither, would begin to tithe to the Lord, that you would see the importance of it, that you'll become a tither before you leave here this morning because I know that if you will, you will be better off. I know that if you will... The Lord Jesus will touch your life in a way that you've never been touched before. Crystal and I began tithing the same month that we were married. I was writing out my vows. We lived five hours apart. 
We'd been dating for about two and a half years and we decided we would write our own vows and I was sitting in my lazy boy recliner and uh, boy, it was a comfortable place to be and I was sitting there and I got my pad out and one of the first things I wrote, I said, I vow that I'll maintain a godly home. And man, the Holy Spirit began to deal with me. He said, you say you're going to maintain a godly home, but it's more than going to church. It's more than trusting God as your Lord and Savior. It's about trusting God in every aspect of your life. And I was like, Lord, I do that, I do that. And he said, but you're robbing me. You don't give the tithe. You give a, a good, a feeling good $20 bill every other week or so. And I said, well, Lord, you know, I'm a school teacher, you know. And uh, this little school district out here in West Texas, they're not paying me a, a whole lot. And he said, doesn't have anything to do with the school district. It has nothing to do with your income. It has everything to do with your heart. And so I made the commitment sitting there that evening, writing out my vows, that I would begin tithing and uh, that was two weeks or that was I guess about a week before my 29th birthday and I want you to know that Crystal and I have always been tithers we got married we were on a single income she was right out of college we had two car payments that was nearly 26 years ago and if you ask her she'll tell you we've never regretted being tithers to the Lord he has enabled us to manage the rest whatever it is because we tithe on the best. And even though it was less than we had before, we were able to manage it more properly. So I want you to read with me Malachi chapter 3. We're going to start with verses 7 and 8. And you'll want to keep your Bibles open. This is the word of the Lord. Yet from the days of your fathers you've gone away from my ordinances and you've not kept them. Return to me and I'll return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, in what way shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you've robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. Heavenly Father, I pray today that God, you might speak to the heart of every individual. God, I I pray you might encourage those who are struggling with, with an attitude about tithing those that are going through struggles and difficulties and they feel like it's just impossible for them to tithe. I pray that you would be with them and speak to their heart during this message. I pray in these next few moments that that you would help us to see what you have in store for those who choose to be obedient to your command. Teach us to walk by faith and not by sight, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when God spoke these words through the prophet Malachi, the people were backslidden. We know that from what he says here in this passage. In fact, the entire book is about that. They were in a backslidden spiritual condition. They were not moving forward in faithfulness. They were gliding along, but sliding backwards. That means they were neglecting to do some of the things God had commanded for them to do. They were guilty of being insincere in their profession in their religious profession, in their spiritual walk with the Lord God. Verse 7 says that it had been going on for some time. He said, since the time of your fathers. He said, since that time on, you've been like this. Since the days of their fathers, they had strayed away from keeping the commandments of the Lord. And therefore God said, return to me and I'll return to you. And by the way, you go first. That's the way I read that. God says, you return to me, I'll return to you, but you get to go first. You go first. In what way should we return? Through Malachi, the Lord said, a good place to start would be stop robbing me with your tithes and your offerings. 
So a good place to start is by no longer withholding the tithe. See, they had gotten this from their parents. Their parents were guilty of withholding the tithe. So they grew up and they were withholding the tithe. He said, from the time of your fathers, it's been this way. And he says, it's time to return to me. And I think as parents, we teach, we're to teach and train our children about the ways of the Lord. And we know that's true. Well, that doesn't exclude the idea and the the command to tithe. We teach our children about tithing and why we tithe. And we're faithful to do it. We don't try to keep it a secret. A lot of people, a lot of adults, they want to keep their children completely out of the loop. Everything we do with our money is a secret and all this. Well, I want them to know God promises to take care of us if we will put Him first in our tithes and in our offerings. So we're not only to tithe, we should let our children know that we tithe and we should teach them why we tithe and why they are to tithe as they begin to earn money. And here's what we learn from this passage of Scripture. First of all, that tithing demonstrates my devotion to the Lord. In Genesis chapter 14, verse 20, long before the law was ever given, Abraham commenced tithing. He tithed to Melchizedek, the Bible says. He gave him a tenth of all that he had. And oh, Abraham had a lot. He had just gone and defeated these armies and he came with a lot of substance. We call it the spoil in some of the older translations. You defeat the army, you get what they have, unless the Lord says don't take it. And so Abraham comes back with all this wealth. He gives 10% of it to, to Melchizedek. And so he commenced it. And in return, Melchizedek, the priest, blesses him for it. Now we don't know what all those blessings are, but we do know Abraham had a blessed life. Jacob, his grandson, continued it. While a young man, he had an encounter with God and committed to him that he would tithe 10% of everything he had to the Lord. Later on, we know Moses commanded it. Moses was on Mount Sinai meeting with the Lord God, and God gave him his law for his people. After he received the law of God on Mount Sinai, he comes down and he begins to command that of the people, that and many other things. Now let's stop for a second, because there are those who might be thinking, you know, preacher... This is an Old Testament book, this book of Malachi. He's an Old Testament prophet. This precedes the Lord Jesus Christ by 400 years, the the writing of Malachi does. I don't think tithing is a New Testament command. It's an Old Testament command for the Jews. It was God's law. God's law was for the Jews. We're New Testament. We're in Christ. We're not under the law. The Bible says we are under grace. That's New Testament. That's Jesus Christ. Old Testament is about tithing and keeping the law. New Testament is about not tithing, doing what you want, whatever you feel in your heart. It's it's New Testament. It's grace. Well, Abraham commenced the tithe. Jacob continued the tithe. Moses commanded the tithe. But in the New Testament, Jesus commended the tithe. Look with me on the screen, Matthew chapter 23, verse 23, where we find Jesus chastising the Pharisees. Now, what were the Pharisees doing? The Pharisees were boastful in their actions. They would keep the laws that most people could see, 
and, and then they would uh, boast about that and they would walk around and stick their chest out. Not all of them, but, uh, but some of them. And they would, uh, they would hold that over the heads of the people. Look how holy, look how devout we are. And, and many of them certainly were. They were very devout. But other things they would ignore. Other matters they would just cast off. Look what the Word says. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Means a play actor. And in the Greek plays... We know they would take a little mask and they would, the guy would come out and, oh, he's the lover. He's, got, he's the good-looking charmer. He's got the mask and he's holding it up in front of his face in the Greek play on the, on the Greek stage. And then later on, the same guy comes out in a different costume and they couldn't afford another actor. He's the villain. He's the mean guy. He said, that's what it is. You're a play actor. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. You are play actors. For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law. Justice and mercy, that word means love, and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Now what's he saying in that? You say, Brother Crispin, he doesn't command the tithe. Did he say tithing in there? He did. He mentions you tithe, but you don't do these other things. You ought to do these things and not leave those undone. Jesus didn't speak against the tithe. He commended the tithe. Tithing is a New Testament principle. It's a New Testament command as well. He said tithing alone doesn't make you righteous. Showing justice, mercy, and faith are important too. You ought to do all of them, Jesus said. Not doing what makes you look better in front of the eyes of others. And The Word of God's not a buffet. I mean, it's a buffet. You can get all you want, but you don't get to pick and choose. You know, there are laws requiring that we take care of our children. How many know that? Laws commanding that we feed them. Laws commanding that we clothe them. Laws commanding that we protect them. Laws commanding that we not neglect Children, it's the law. Everybody say, it's the law. Now, do you wake up tomorrow morning, you parents? You wake up tomorrow morning, you, you say to your wife, men, begrudgingly, you look over and you say to her, sweetheart, we got to get up and feed those kids. She says, again? I hate having to do that. We do that every day. We've been doing it for three or four years now. Seven, eight, ten, twelve years now. I just hate it. He says, I know I hate it too. But it's the law. If we neglect to do it, the police, the police are going to come and they're going to arrest us for it. We've got to get up and we've got to take care of those kids. Well, that's not how you take care of your kids. That's not what you do. That, that's not why you feed your children. You don't take care of them because the law is going to come get you and throw you in jail if you don't do it. You take care of your children. Why? Because you love your children. That's why you take care of your children. Love trumps everything, does it not? So tithing is a test of our love and devotion to the Lord. We tithe out of a love to obey the Lord and His commands. We don't tithe begrudgingly. We don't tithe just because God says we have to. Now sometimes we want to do it just because we have to and we don't feel comfortable doing it. And sometimes we will do it because we know it's a step of faith, but we want to do it out of love for God. When we're tithing in that way, we know He'll bless us if we will. So tithing is a test of our devotion to the Lord. It demonstrates our love to Him. Secondly, I want you to see that tithing provides for the ministry of the Lord. Look with me at verse 10. 
If you're still with me, say amen. Nobody throwing tomatoes yet. That's good. It's been too dry to have any, hasn't it, till, till recently? Look at verse 10. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me or test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. See if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. So he tells us what to give. He says it's called a tithe. The word tithe means tenth. That's why we say ten percent. He tells us where to give it. He says here in the storehouse, bring it to my house, the storehouse. And there are some who uh, participate by supporting financially ministries outside the local church. And I would commend you for doing that. I would commend you and say, as long as that's a biblical ministry, whatever God has laid on your heart to support, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. There were special offerings that were promoted in Scripture called free will offerings. We call them love offerings. They're given out of our own free will, however God has blessed us or put it upon our heart to give. These the people were encouraged to give. They determined the amount God had placed upon their heart to give. We know that building projects were supported from free will offerings. Love offerings for the poor were gathered. For personal ministry, people used their own offerings, their own income for that. These are all examples in Scripture where people gave their resources for specific purposes. The Good Samaritan who stopped along the roadside to help the Jew who had been beaten up and left for dead. He took him, he bandaged up his wounds, he got him some help. He put him on his donkey. He took him into town. He got him a hotel room. He said, I've got business to go take care of. In a few days, I'll pass back through here. He told the hotel manager, he said, I'll take care of anything that, anything he owes you when I come back through. Now, how did he do that? He didn't take the Lord's tithe to do that. He wouldn't have done that. The tithe was separate. He did that out of his own grace. He did that because God had enabled him to do that and had obviously put it upon his heart to do that. So both tithes and offerings are scriptural, but we're to be intentional about the, the tithe and the offerings rather than to confuse them. That way we're obedient to the Lord. So the Lord explains tithing. He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Now what does that tell us? That tells us some of the people were calling it a tithe, but they weren't bringing it at all where it belongs. They were taking their tithe and doing something else with it. So he explains this, bring it all to the storehouse, and that's the local church where the Word is taught. That's where the ministry takes place and worship services are conducted, just like we're doing this morning, so that the needs of the church are met. And so we're to bring them to the storehouse. Now I want to change gears this morning, and I want you to think about this church. First Baptist Church Garrison. And I want you to think about the needs that exist here in this place. This new facility, what a blessing. Did you know almost weekly people come in here and uh, will have some business to tend to at the office or they're delivering something, they'll say, can I go see the sanctuary? And either Rosalind or myself, we, we, we take them on a little tour. They just love to see it. What a wonderful facility. The banknote, however, is almost $10,000 a month. Some months that full amount is received 
of extra offerings designated to go right toward the building fund. Sometimes that amount is not received. When it falls short, the money needed is taken from a separate account so that we pay the full banknote. That separate account in time will become depleted at the rate that we're taking money out of it. At this news, some of you might think, oh, honey, we've got to start taking our tithe and giving it to the building fund. We don't want to have to, you know, lose with the bank there. And so we're thinking about, let's do that. Let's redirect our tithe to go toward the building note. But when you do that, what have you now done? You've neglected the tithe. You've neglected the tithe. You say, well, it all goes to the church. I mean, it's all one and the same, isn't it? No, it's not. In the Bible, the people were never excused from giving the tithe. When they brought the tithe, they left it there. The church, the ministers, they dealt with it at the temple. They dealt with it. It was to to help with their ministers of whom they had thousands of priests that that labored at the temple at their designated times and uh, among the people who were many. And it was for them to manage all of these things. And so you leave it, you cut the strings off of it, you, you let that, you're, you have input in a Baptist church at your monthly business meetings. If you don't agree with how things are being handled, you can come and let your voice be heard. If you're a member of this church, um, you always have that privilege. Well, the people were never excused from the tithe. They gave free will offerings and love offerings for new facilities and other needs. That was separate from the tithe. I want to let you know as a full-time interim, my compensation has been 80% of what you were paying the last pastor. I felt like that was very good for an interim. An interim's not made the long-term commitment to the church like a full-time pastor is going to do. And so I felt it was not good if I was receiving that full amount. They said 80%. I said, that will work. But when a full-time pastor is called then the church will be responsible to pay that full amount to them, whatever the church determines that will be. It might be exactly what it was before or what the 100% would be now. It may be more. That's something the church will be called on to decide. But what I'm getting at with that is that if the church is not always meeting their monthly budget, and we've not always met it each month this year, and we're having a, a shortfall, How then will you pay 100% to the full-time pastor to come? There will be an even greater shortfall. You say, well, that's easy. Pastor, we just lower the salary so that it doesn't cost so much. And, And I would say, well, wait a minute. He already has to pay his own medical insurance. How many of you gripe and complain about how high your medical insurance goes up every year? I mean, when we were with the annuity board, our, our Guidestone, our medical insurance through the Southern Baptist was nearly 2000 a month. We were so blessed that Oak Grove paid every bit of that every month. 2000 a month. That's just the insurance part. And so, you know, what a blessing. Now, where we get ours from is through the school where Crystal teaches, and it's much lower. It's like 1600 a month. Some of you are aghast with that. You're like, 1600 a month? Well, you go have four kids and see what it costs you, all right? That's just where we're at. So sometimes we get older in life and we say, well, I never had to live on that kind of money. I mean, I made it on a lot less of that. We just don't realize what it takes to live on. So what do you do? You lower his salary and he's already paying his own insurance. 
say, well, we'll give my house over here. Well, you know, a guy's still got to live. So I would say, don't do that. Don't do that. In fact, if you can start covering his insurance, do that if you can do that. Why? Why is that so important? Well, the Scripture tells us that we're to esteem highly those who labor in the Word among you. The Scripture tells us that the minister's worthy of double honor. So I would say, always do more rather than less. Oh, Crispin, you're just taking up for the guy. I've never met the guy. There is not the guy yet. So until you vote a guy in, they come to you. They're not, I don't know anybody that I'm, that I'm rooting and tooting for right now, okay? I know what the Word says, though. There's the upkeep on the facilities. Roofs start to leak. Air conditioning units go out without notice. Wow, that thing's only four years old. Yeah, and it went out. It doesn't matter how old it is. When it goes out, we want it fixed, right? Equipment will stop working. There are discipleship programs for all the different age groups. Curriculum expenses for Sunday school classes. There are programs like Vacation Bible School where hearts and lives of children are strengthened and discipled in the Lord Jesus. And as a result, many of them will come to know the Lord. The list goes on and on. And these things we will do as the Lord provides. And how does He choose to provide for these things? Through the faithful giving of God's people. The tithe. If enough isn't coming in, what will the church do? Well, the church can certainly do some things. We'll cut programs out of the budget. We'll turn off the air conditioner and watch the preacher sweat through a sermon. Won't that be precious? We'll stop ordering discipleship materials for the kids. We'll get rid of that church van and that church bus. And, and won't, I thought somebody might give an amen on that, but we won't go there. But anyway, get rid of those things. They cost us money. And, and besides, it's a small enough town. People want to get here. They can walk here. We'll go to having a part-time pastor. That's what we'll do. Bivocational. Well, we, we wouldn't want to cut any of those things. I'm speaking for you. I can't imagine any of you saying that's worth cutting anyway. We wouldn't want to do that. What about the cooperative program? You say the cooperative program, what's that? You don't know about the CP? The CP, the cooperative program? My goodness, that's, that's uh, part of the bloodline of Southern Baptist life is that we cooperate together as a convention of churches, thousands of churches, by determining as a church how much we will send in to the cooperative program. We cooperate together. And that goes to help with missions. It goes to prepare ministers, uh, seminary students that are going into the ministry. It goes and provides a, a great avenue for training for churches and for pastors. And I mean, the list goes on and on what the cooperative program does. This church has determined it will give 10% every month what comes in to the cooperative program among the other things that it gives to as well. It provide, uh, provided a scholarship for me all the way through seminary. It provided half of the money of tuition costs for me to go through seminary. It does that at our six Southern Baptist seminaries. The cooperative program provides for half a scholarship for every one of those students who is a member of a Southern Baptist church. Would we cut our cooperative program giving? Well, no way. No, my no. Let's don't do that. It does more to ensure that we put uh, people in the field to share the gospel and to start new churches than anything a single church could possibly do on their own. Well, how will we ever maintain the Lord's house and the Lord's ministry? 
How are we going to do that? Well, the Lord explains it. We're to do it in the same manner that Abraham did it. And that Jacob did it. And that Moses commanded the people to do. And that Jesus commended the people to do. This is how his work gets done. He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there will be provision in my house. You say, Brother Crispin, I, I believe in tithing, but I only give 5%. That's the amount most 65 to 75 year olds give. A study by U.S. News and World Report said most, uh, the, the greatest amount of giving is done by retired senior adults. Now, what do we know about retired senior adults? Well, unless they're just like pretty wealthy, they are on more of a restricted income. And it just doesn't change from day to day. If anything, it drops instead of gains sometimes. They're having to live on what they've put aside. And if the economy's good and it's growing and they had enough in there, then they're more blessed. If not, then they struggle. And most of them reported giving only 5%. The the crowd that gave the least, of course, was uh, 24 to 30-year-olds. They gave 1.5%. You say, well, a lot of them are college kids, and we get that. Certainly, I'm not bashing. I'm just giving you some statistics. They tend to give the least. They called it tithing, but it was about 1.5%. You say, well, I'm giving about 2%. I'm giving 5%. Let me just commend you for giving it all. Because let me tell you what most Christians do. I better say, don't do. They don't tithe at all. Most Christians, in the reports that we read, admit that they do not tithe at all. They give nothing. I'm not here to give you a bashing for that, but I'm here to commend those who do give. But I would also encourage you to do whatever it takes to increase to a full tithe, because that's the commandment that we're given. Because you're cheating yourself out of greater blessings from the Lord, if you don't. You say, well, I've been giving and I've been doing okay Well, God didn't call you to be okay. He called you to be a blessed person. And uh, so God's calling you to be faithful. Thirdly, I want you to see that tithing results in added blessings from the Lord. God says, try me in this. Test me in this. This is the only place in Scripture where you can test God and get away with it. The only place. God says, don't... Jesus even told the devil, don't test the Lord your God. Don't put Him to the test. Here God says, in this... Put me to the test and see if I'm not speaking the truth. See if I won't carry out my promise to you. See if I won't be faithful to you. Try me in this. Look at verse 10 if you would. I lost my place in the Bible here, so I'm going to rely on Marvin to put verse 10 up there. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing there won't be room enough to receive it. And the scripture goes on and says that some are under a curse because they have not been faithful with the tithe. In other words, God's hand is against them One hand, God is open-handed. The other hand is turned down to you. So the promise is to tithe and to do so with a loving heart and God will bless you for it. He says, test him. 
He says, you start honoring me with a tithe and see if you don't end up better off than you were before. See if I won't stay true to my word. I will bless you. Test me now in this. I'd heard about a church in Oklahoma. The pastor made this promise to his people. It was a true story. If you give 10% of your income for one year and you're not blessed more than you were before you started being faithful with your tithing, then we will refund your money. He had to be drinking. I'm just thinking, as a pastor, he had to be drinking or something. I don't know. Today, though, I want to make you that same promise to this congregation. You tithe for one year, and afterwards, if you don't feel more blessed than you were before, that church in Oklahoma will refund your money. I had the deacons so scared just then, didn't I? Rosalind's in the nursery. She was just about to have a cow, I bet. She handles the finances there. She was, oh, she'll get me. What does he say? He says, test me now in this and see. Maybe you're like me. I, I was a young man. I was single. I was in my 20s. I can't afford that. I've got to pay for this car. I've got to pay for this Mustang GT and... Man, my insurance was sky high because of the car I chose. I I can't afford that. Well, let me ask you a question. Did you wait to get married until you could afford it? Everybody that's about to get married said, I can't afford it. Everybody's about to have kids. We can't afford kids. The bride, bent with age, leaned over her cane. Her steps, uncertain, needed guiding. While down the church aisle with a wan, toothless smile came the groom in a wheelchair, gliding Who is this elderly couple thus wed? You'll find as you closely explore it. Why, this is that rare, most conservative pair who waited till they could afford it. You're afraid. You're hesitant. You're unbelieving. You want to, but you don't see how it's ever going to be possible. God says, test me now in this. There's a statement Crystal and I have kind of, I don't know, we just kind of started saying it through the years. We just kind of, I don't know, we just do it. I don't know exactly when we started doing it, but it's this. We'll often say when God does something that seems illogical, something extraordinary, something that should be humanly impossible, something that doesn't stand to reason, we just look at one another and we say, God has a way. God has a way. God has a way of creating something out of nothing. God has a way of taking a little and multiplying it so that it is much. God just has a way. God has a way of making a somebody out of a nobody and using them to touch the hearts and lives of people for His purposes. God just has a way. God has a way of making a way when there seems to be no way. God has a way. Say that with me. God has a way. God has a way of meeting our needs when we think there's no way. God has a way of blessing us in ways that we thought we would never be blessed when we're faithful with His way. God has a way. And so I want to encourage you in this. Be faithful. I want to encourage you in that. Be faithful. Test Him in this just as we did 26 years ago.
Now, some of you could come up here and you could share a testimony. You've been faithful in that three times longer than we've been doing that. Maybe 60, 70 years, perhaps. You could testify that God is faithful. Oh, I almost wish you would. I wish you would. Test him now in this and see if he won't bless your life for 